0: Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover. I'm a partner in Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group. And as you know, the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a commercial real estate podcast that has attorneys and real estate professionals to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues. Today, we have a great guest. We have Christian Baudouin. He's the Managing Director of Research and Strategy at JLL and my partner, Jay Augustin. And today we're going to talk about tenant needs in a post-pandemic world. We wanted to have Christian come on because Christian is is Managing Director of Research and Strategy, and he's brought on to help teams across the country and the world talk about various issues that uh, real estate occupiers face. And so he's a great resource because he aggregates all this data and all this information and then boils it down and assembles it. And create something useful out of it for his team and his clients and his customers. And so we thought, what a great person to have to come on. And he had a great article that was on JLL's website about tenant needs in a post-pandemic world. And it helps explain what we should be looking forward to in terms of of how things are going to move from an office and retail perspective going forward. And the other reason why Christian is great to have on is we actually had a podcast that we interviewed. It was about March 2nd, 3rd, 4th that we did this. It was Jay, Christian, and I, we all sat down and we talked about how corporate headquarters were relocating over the past few years and what they're looking for in terms of demographics and locations and how they're doing office plans. And we were just about to release that episode when the whole world changed. And so we're going to hold on to that episode because a lot of it doesn't apply to the current situation but we thought let's have Christian come back on because he's analysis, analyzing this new concepts and what we're dealing all dealing with right now. I should I should date this. We're recording this uh, late April, April 30th. We'll probably release this in the first or second week of May. But as we all start to head back to work in the next couple months, we hope, um, it'll be important to, to consider some of these different never-changing needs as we constantly evaluate this new situation. So Enough of my intro, Christian Jay. Uh, thank you for coming on, Christian. You're you're our guest. Uh, please say hello. Hi Phil. Hi Jay. Thank you for having me. Uh, nice to be with you today. Jay, also please say hello to everyone. I wanna. I appreciate you coming on and and getting Christian to to come on our show.
1: Oh no problem, Phil. Uh, glad to do it. Glad to be back with you.
0: So, Christian, tell me just a little bit about your role and what you're doing on a day to day basis right now. And then we'll, and that will probably dovetail well into the topic we have today. Sure. Thanks.
2: Uh, as you mentioned, I, I lead our research and our strategy and advisory practice at JLL uh, on a national basis. And we've got, um, you know, responsibilities of our team are about 50 50. And that is half of our time is spent with uh, occupiers and tenants. Uh, of commercial real estate. And the other half of the time is spent, uh, with landlords and owners and investors of commercial real estate. So we work across the spectrum and try to serve both sides,
0: uh, with the latest information that can help them make, make the best decisions. And so I imagine right now you're getting all sorts of new and different information than you were when we, we all sat down to talk just two short months ago.
2: Yeah, you're right. It's, it's very true. I mean, the world has completely changed in just a matter of the last, uh, I guess it's seven weeks now since most of us have been uh, working from home and, and sheltering in place. And, uh, you know, not only the, the commercial real estate markets have changed, but the entire macro economy and the entire, you know, global health uh, health system and health issues uh, have transformed in that time. So it's it's very different since we last spoke.
0: So your article starts the coronavirus has caused a rough. Shift in workplace operations that may have a lasting impact, impact on workspace design, thinking, and use. What is the future of work in a post-COVID world? Sure. Uh, well, there will certainly be a lot of changes in the near term.
2: I think there's maybe some bigger questions on what will be the long-term impacts, and I think we all have to be careful uh, at this stage. You know, seven weeks probably seems long to those of us uh, who are uh, in our homes with our families uh, full time, but <laughs> <this> is. Um, <laughs> You know, seven weeks is actually short in a, on a, you know, in a, in a year's time frame or a global time frame. Uh, so I want to be careful not to make too many long-term forecasts, especially if you've heard, you know, after uh, other incidents, um, you know, tra- other tragedies, I guess I'd say, in American history after September 11th, 2001, there were a lot of forecasts that no one would ever go back into a high-rise building ever again, right? No one would ever want to be uh, in a tall office tower ever again. And... Um, you know that that proved not to be true so we, i want to be careful to not make too many broad statements that um you know may be corrected over time however I, I do think there will be some some lasting changes um that that impact you know how we go to work and, and and how we work um one trend that was actually starting last time we we spoke we talked about this a little bit that was uh emerging and i think will be even more on the forefront as we Uh, move forward is a focus on health and wellness for employees so that had a different spin before Uh, it was you know focused on employee amenities and gymnasiums being added to buildings and healthy food options being added to tenant locations now the idea of health and wellness really has to do on it with a much more uh, severe focus right on um, you know uh, contagion and virus avoidance and uh, maintaining health and safety Uh, and sanitizing workplaces we're we're hearing from uh, tenants across the board uh, that when they return to work uh, their programs around cleaning and sanitation and janitorial and facilities management will be completely new um, and that the focus on health and wellness will be emphasized but in an entirely different way so that's that's one thing which i don't think will go away that was a trend before and i think it's going to get stronger as we go forward
1: that's interesting. On the you know, as the you described the health and wellness evolution, right? In the the pre-COVID world, uh, you know, the focus on health and wellness <clears throat> was seen as a a way to attract and enhance the tenant experience. Uh, it's going to be much different now, right? As we're we're focused on screening and contagion management and prevention. You know, as we get further and further away from April thirtieth, twenty twenty. Um, you know, will that continue to be, you know, how will that be viewed by tenants, by employees of tenants? Uh, it'll just be very interesting, right? It's not something that necessarily would draw you uh, to a building. Um, maybe it will be. Um, but as we get further and further away, I'll be interested to see how that sticks.
2: Yeah, you're totally right, Jay. It, 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 it used to be considered the health and wellness were sort of buzzwords for amenities. Now health and wellness are going to be mandatory minimum standards such that people are convinced to leave their homes and actually work in an office again. So it's uh, it's almost, a, you know, it's not an amenity. It's a minimum standard now that people have to feel safe uh, where they're going to work.
0: Yeah. It'll, it reminds me a little bit of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like we used to think about how we can make the work environment, the daily workplace, more more fun, more happy, more everything. And now we'll have to just focus on that base level of just, can I keep my employees safe? and. Are they going to feel comfortable getting to the office, focusing on work for a few hours, and going home? It's it's a dramatic shift, and you know that kind of ties into when we we're, we're going to keep referencing the the dead and buried podcast that never got released. But when, when we had talked in early March, we were talking about the amenities arms race and how office towers, residential buildings, were really scaling up their amenities in terms of you know, residential, you had movie theaters in in buildings, you had just all sorts of communal spaces and office towers were starting to go the way of more gyms, more coffee bars, more places for people are going to be here all day. We need to make this a better experience for them. Um, And at the time we had talked about that amenities arm race seemed to be getting a little bit overdone. At least that was my opinion on it. But, you know, I think, do you, I think you've kind of already touched on this, but do you anticipate that amenities will be less of a focus or there'll be a different types of amenities? Yeah, no, I don't think, you know, the, a lot of those things we talked about are going to go away
2: necessarily, but they're certainly on the back burner uh, for the, the future this the foreseeable future uh, in, in in the immediate future. It's going to be safety and wellness as a priority. And as we mentioned in the paper, it's actually private space uh, for employees to, you know, have some space to themselves, whether that's for work, um, you know, with a safe social distance from co-workers, but also space for concentration, uh, space for doing their own work. And I think that's going to be a considered uh, almost a luxury in the workplace is, um, you know, space that a lot of law firms actually have, some cellular offices, some private spaces, and, and uh, you know, a difference than, than some of the very dense open plans that were promoted earlier.
1: Well, that's a question that I had for you. You know, we had, you know, spent a lot of time <clears throat> certainly in the law firm space, but in most probably office uh tenant situations, kind of focusing on hyper efficient spaces, you know, really drilling down the, you know, kind of the square feet per person occupying the space. And now, you know, many tenants have occupied spaces with exactly that concept in mind. How realistic is it for folks who have, you know, entered into leases here in the last 6 to 12 to 18 months you know to reconfigure their spaces in a way that create the appropriate amount of personal space and distance necessary to kind of provide that that you know baseline level of comfort for health and safety.
2: Yes, you're totally right and unfortunately it's not that easy to reconfigure space especially in an environment right now where we are with uh you know many companies which will be capital constrained due to the economic uh sit, you know situation and conditions. So there's there's probably very few companies out there that Going to have the capital and the willingness to go in uh, and completely renovate their space to give everyone more space now, or go back to offices, you know, from from bench desks or whatever they had. Um, I do think what we're hearing more so instead is uh, a, a bit of a staggering of the workforce, especially on early reentry into the office. So it will be those considered essential or those who um, have a true preference for getting into the office uh, immediately. And that may be the first wave of employees who come in and then, you know, say that's 20 to 40 to 60% of your employee base that comes back. That by its nature will allow you to have a greater spacing of employees just because you won't be completely occupied as we return to work. I think, you know, we're hearing a lot right now in the news about reentry entry and, um, you know, reopening of the economy uh, in certain states and then, you know, others eventually. In reality, it, there's not going to be a light switch, you know, that you turn on and the state goes from off to on in terms of economic activity or office occupancy, it's going to be a very gradual uh, return to the office whenever the date is, depending on geography. It's going to be a very gradual return. So if let's say, you know, some date, June 1st, July 1st, August 1st, whatever it is uh, in your region, uh, you're allowed to go back to work and, and offices are opened up. You're probably going to have around a 20% staff that voluntarily really wants to get back to the office, either because their their work is essential to be in the office, or they're at the breaking point with uh, working from home. Um, but then you're you're not going to have all of your staff who are willing or able to do that. Um, there are many of which are still going to prioritize uh, working from home, or may have family concerns of children still you know out of school, or or the other co living situations of maybe being with. Uh, living with someone who's more at high risk for severity of COVID infection. So it's going to be a very gradual process as we get back.
0: Yeah. I mean, it also I think people that have, uh, that have to commute will, will also have a harder time taking public transit uh, and being part of the first wave of people that are back at the office. You know, in recent years, we've seen a real effort to, for companies to consolidate their footprint and just reduce the square footage that they have by using co working spaces or by having people work in communal spaces. Um, I was wondering do you think that people will go, companies will go back to having larger square footage so that they can spread people out? Or now that we've been used to working from home a little bit more, do you think it will overall be about the same amount of square footage, but probably not the actual density of people in the office at any given time? Whether it's in shift system or just uh, less formally structured than that?
2: Uh, great question. So, there's, there's sort of two schools of thought we have uh, heard on this so far. And uh, I've, I've tried to uh, address them a little bit quantitatively, but I, we'll see if how successful we are. So, the first one, the first argument may be that we will need less space, uh, less office space going forward because you're going to have more people working from home. And uh, as we get used to working from home, as we all have been forced to over the last two months, um, you're going to have just some portion of that workforce which does enjoy it, even if it's not 100%, uh, even 10 or 20% of that workforce that really uh, prefers it may stick with it. So that's one side of the argument. The other is that you're going to need more office space because everyone's going to remodel their offices and want to go back to 300 square feet per person. Uh, which is, by the way, around 320, 15, maybe 325 square feet per person is what allows you to be socially distanced, meaning you can maintain a six-foot radius around every person in your office if, if you're at around 320 square feet per person. Mm-hmm. Um, the the reality is probably somewhere in between both of those, right? You're going to have some companies that do allocate capital to provide more space per person, but you're going to have some companies you know, that allocate actually less space per person, and they find portions of their workforce that can work from home and continue to do so. Uh, so in the end, it may be a wash. You know, it's hard to quantify exactly where we're going with that, but in the end, it could be a net uh, neutral effect on the overall market impact. Um, in order to quantify this a little bit, we've just run a survey, and Phil and Jay, I'll send it to you guys if you're willing to take it. Uh, you can of course part of the data set.
1: Yeah, I'd love to uh, have it.
2: Thank you. Uh, and we're, we're, we're surveying, so far we've got, you know, a couple thousand responses on and, and exactly this question. How are you doing working from home? Do you want to continue working from home? Or do you are you dying to get back into the office? It turns out that around 10% uh, you know, of, of the surveyed respondents say they would prefer to work from home on a full-time basis, right, going forward. Around 35% said they want to get back to the office full-time. They need to get out of their house and they don't ever want to work from home again. But the rest, around 60 65% of the respondents are somewhere in the middle and they say, they will come back to the office for necessary meetings, for important uh, projects, for collaboration, for their managers. But they also want to work from home when they can as well, cut down on their commuting, uh, save some time, save time on transit, save cost. And so I think what we're going to see going forward is kind of a blended, you know, a hybrid uh, workforce over the next several months and quarters and even years where. Uh, the situation that's been created now is going to lead to a lot of people who maybe go in a couple days a week for work when they have to, and when, or when meetings or client meetings are important. Uh, but the other times they'll work from home and they've gotten used to having that ability. So, um, you know, we may have a lot of us, and I could think even just the three of us who, you know, may return to the office when we can, uh, but it might not be every day. And, um, if there's a lot of congestion and a lot of traffic or there's, you know, a, a lower, uh, commonality of meetings or something maybe we'll stay home for a couple of days so um that's at least my forecast i don't know you know how true that'll prove to be but it, it seems like a the idea
1: of working from home or working in the office i don't
2: think it's a binary thing anymore i think it's going to be a blended thing for a while
1: it'll be interesting right because there are you know there are recent studies right that have said or that have documented that um uh, you know, the co-working or the communal working environments have proven to be significantly less efficient than the more socially distanced, you know, cloistered office type environments that had um, you know, previously kind of ruled the roost. It'll be interesting when the analysis is done regarding uh, employee efficiency from working from home and whether, again, as we get some distance from COVID, uh, whether the results of those studies, you know, will will drive kind of employer requirements kind of independent of what their employees feel comfortable doing
2: yeah you're right this it's gonna be a big debate I think between a lot of uh, you know companies their HR teams finance teams and their actual employee base uh, about where they want to be and what the company thinks is right for them you know to encourage collaboration and things versus you know what individuals feel comfortable with Um I, you know, I, it's going to be a minority of the population, but I bet there is some percentage now, maybe it's 5% or less or something, but there's going to be some sol- small percentage that just says, I, I'm afraid, right? Even after after the entire you know, health situation is resolved, whenever that happens over over time, you're still going to have a subset that just is, is very afraid. Just as, you know, still today, you have some people who won't fly, right? Uh, 20 years after September 11th. So, um, it, it, there's some of these things have, have real lasting impacts.
0: You know, what else I was thinking about is when when there, the research is done to say, well, how productive were people from home and companies look at April, you know, second half of March, April, May, I would say. It's possible that we're all actually capable of being much more productive at home than we will be in the month of April because we're worried about a pandemic and our kids were home. But once a new normal gets here and we kind of drift back into work and schools reopen, I don't know when that is, but eventually I I would say that we probably are capable of being more productive from home than we will have been this past seven weeks because we won't have those interferences of the constant news cycle and trying to, especially those first few weeks. I mean, I just know I was checking every news story that came up and, and having the children around and working with your spouse or significant other. Um, you know, some of those other situations could change and we, we actually might be more, much more productive than it looked like we were in April.
2: You, yeah, you, you may be right. And and uh, I'm glad you bring that up. We've actually kind of run some of that analysis in our survey as well uh, on uh, self-perception and corporate perception of productivity while people are working from home. And In general, it seems that uh, most employees are kind of in this 80% range of productivity compared to the office, meaning they can do about 80% of what they were doing in the office now from home. Some people don't have, uh, you know, as much support or technical support or IT or, you know wireless connectivity or a good computer, or multiple screens or whatever. Um, and so there, there's a little bit of a hindrance there, but you're right. As time goes on, you know, these things can improve and you'll get people who are more productive as they work from home. The contrast to that though, are there, there's a few other reasons to get into the office apart from pure productivity. You know, I mean, I, I think you can, it's safe to say you can do an Excel spreadsheet or you can write a document Uh, or you can review a contract or whatever from home and be just as productive as your desk in the office. However, there are some things you just, you, you can't do. And some of those are are social, right? It's very difficult to build a corporate culture remotely. I think you can probably maintain it uh, with, with phone calls and conference calls and zoom meetings or whatever, but it's kind of hard to build a culture from scratch unless people are meeting together in person and getting to know one another. And I think that you know those kind of things just uh, happen organically when people are physically together, socializing, and it's 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 hard to build that kind of culture remotely. Similarly, it's actually kind of hard to train and onboard people uh, and hire new employees uh, mm-hmm. remotely. It's a difficult thing to do and actually get to know young professionals and new employees and to coach them up and mentor them. Furthermore, it's really hard to grow in your career remotely. I can't think of any CEO or managing partner or managing director at any firm who worked from home for the last 20 years and didn't come in and didn't have a lot of personal relationships at their firm, you know, and kind of political network within their firm to rise up through the ranks. And and then uh, the last point is uh, innovation, which is kind of a buzzword, of course, but um, it's, it's fairly easy to do rote work at home. It's kind of hard to innovate at home unless you're kind of sitting, you know, together in a conference room with a bunch of people solving a problem. You know, the most corporate problems as formal as corporations have become, are solved in a conference room. You know, at seven at night, and they've ordered in some pizza, and they they get the problem done, and then they move on. and They can pivot quickly. We're in a you know a world that's really disrupted by technology every day, and you know new industries are getting disrupted by tech. And I don't know how you address that kind of disruption if you've got just everybody in their dining room table or their kid's bedroom, where I am right now, uh, just trying to get work done. It, it's it's, it's hard to solve those kinds of problems, enterprise-wide problems, unless you have put people physically together and, and solve problems. So I, for that reason, I don't think the office is going to be you know, a thing of the past. It just might be different.
1: You know, speaking of things that uh, some people might have thought were things of the past, your article also touches on <clears throat> corporations looking at strategies uh, that include uh, suburban hubs. Uh, for their businesses, you know giving employees the option to you know not have to commute downtown where you know I think we discussed on the uh, the now dead podcast you know the the drive of corporate headquarters into you know large urban centers. Your article touches on you know uh, providing your employees with the flexibility to avoid that commute and to you know work closer to their homes. Uh, you know, maybe you know, maybe an amenity that uh, employers look to offer. Uh, so, wanted to get your sense, uh, you know, just in talking with the folks at JLL and elsewhere about whether or not you know, post COVID, uh, you're going to see a kind of reorienting or at least a a reallocation of where you know corporate facilities you know, may end up being located.
2: Yeah, thanks. It's a it's a really good point. I I don't think I would call it a reallocation. Uh, you know, or a, or a wholesale move from some of the trends that were happening before. Um, but I do think you're going to see uh, the increase of satellite offices. Um, so, you know, actually, you, you mentioned JLL. We have our global headquarters in downtown Chicago, but we have a satellite office in Rosemont near O'Hare Airport uh, for our suburban staff to touch down. We have a, a small office in Westmont, um, yeah, in the western suburbs for some of who are suburban located. Uh, to work and not have to commute all the way into the city, I think you're going to start to see trends like that increasingly uh, happening uh, across the board. We, you know, the, and there are many uh, tenants in the Chicago market and, and other cities, of course, as well, that are evaluating that type of strategy, where you have either a Chicago, you know, downtown headquarters and a suburban, uh, call it a touchdown space, or a, a smaller satellite office, or you you maintain your headquarters in the suburbs and you have a downtown space. Or your employees who, who also live downtown. Um, I, I could see that growing in, in interest for uh, for sure. And that we've already been in discussions with a few tenants now when we're looking at, you know, we're downtown, but looking at uh, satellite offices in the suburbs where they can, you know, give people uh, ample space, closer proximity to their homes um, and, and things like that. So you're, you're totally right, Jay. Yeah. I mean,
0: uh, I've, I've considered that myself. We have, you know, I'm in the downtown Chicago office, but we have a DuPage County office, and I've been thinking about that. I was like, well, if I, if I need to go in to do a closing here in the next week or two, would it be better, safer, just to drive over to the DuPage County office rather than try to navigate getting into downtown Chicago and going up a high rise and going through an elevator system? Um, so that is interesting. I mean, it's definitely a thought process that employees have right now. Yeah, I think you're you're
2: absolutely right.
1: What's going to happen, uh, in your opinion, with uh, all of the co-working spaces that have uh, you know popped up over the last thirty-six to forty-eight months? How you know they're <clears throat> you know they're across the landscape in our our urban markets. How are we going to deal with those in this uh, in this new environment that we're that we're all in? It's not great, Jay. Oh, It's a huge topic. <laughs>
2: No, it's not. It's funny. Uh, you know, just before, before we're recording this podcast that we had an internal call at uh, JLL to talk about this. Um, it's it's going to be a, a, a serious issue uh, in the markets. Um, now, co-working providers were responsible for almost 40% uh, of, of net absorption in a lot of markets uh, across the country over last year, over 2019, so a significant amount of space has been absorbed uh, by co-working providers and they have a they kind of run the gamut in terms of uh, credit quality right now and and um you know financial viability i think you know some of the largest uh like we work and others were able to grow uh exponentially over the last couple of years based on uh you know a significant amount of venture capital funding uh, you know there's you know, much less of that right now uh, so they need to you know make money from ongoing operations um that is certainly a challenge in this current environment where everyone is uh, at home so um it, it the the model of rent arbitrage i think will be really really stressed uh over the next it certainly is currently uh but over the medium to long term it's going to be very very difficult uh for uh you know a lot of these providers that have fixed obligations but no variable income right now and um I think others you know, that are focused more on the management agreement model where they may have uh, profit sharing or revenue sharing agreements with their landlords may be better positioned. And that'll probably be the direction where uh, the industry uh, drifts over time, meaning you know, the, the revenue that they collect from a co provider is shared on a percentage basis with the landlord, sort of like a retail lease. Um, those may make it viable, uh, but those that have uh, large rent obligations right now and uh, no tenants within them, are, are really uh, currently struggling and, and, and will you know, we'll continue to do so for a while.
0: I do think they could alleviate some of the issues by reconfiguring some of their spaces. I mean, there's still value to a small company uh, just needing a place to get an office space that, that wants to do it short term. I mean, there's but, – mm-hmm. but to your point, though, it has to be that the demand for that product will diminish – uh, it remains to be seen how much, but just because of the health and safety issues, um, uh, yeah, like you're saying, I, I think that the demand has to diminish, uh, but we'll see how much.
2: Yeah, it'll be difficult. We, we've run the you know numbers, the financial analysis, and it, you're right. It still makes sense. If you're a 10 to 20 person firm, uh you know, coworking still makes a lot of sense, more sense than a traditional lease, where you would, you know, need to hire an office manager or a, you know, an admin and a receptionist. You'd have to have your own, you know, mail systems. You have to have your own kitchen and cafeteria and whatever, and storage and files. All that's kind of handled for you in a co-working environment. So uh, there are incredible cost savings and a lot of just practical reasons to be in those environments um, and to use that kind of shared space. If you're a smaller firm, startup, you know, a ten to twenty person business. Uh, and you want a short uh, lease duration, it makes uh, all the sense in the world. When you start to get bigger, though, and where the, the co-working companies were really uh, targeting was enterprise users and large Fortune 500 companies to take up a lot of space in, in within their centers, that's that's going to be difficult to to attract them back, I think, going forward.
0: One question that I had that was not, it's not directly on the article, but Are you guys analyzing right now the need for parking and how that's changing? I I can't figure out how I feel about how it's going to go, but I know me personally, I'm going to be less inclined to take the train, more inclined to drive and park. And there's been this shift really away from parking and having that be important to an office environment with younger folks and folks across the board taking uh, ride sharing services to work. Or the public transit? Um, do you anticipate that there will be a stronger demand for parking? I do. Uh, it's almost like you're
2: uh, teeing up our podcast number three uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's the next report I'm working on right now because we have so many clients asking about this. Um, it's a the next report. Uh, being totally serious, is is on transit and parking, um, and we're kind of analyzing that market uh, right now. There's clearly you know this was part of our survey as well there is a clear and uh, present disinterest in public transit right now and the idea of uh, a lot of people who are, have been in their home for the last seven or eight weeks of getting on a crowded blue line or green line or red line train or metro uh, and if you just picture the funneling through Union station or some of those train stations that happens at eight in the morning or five in the afternoon it's it's the opposite of social distancing so Yes, I don't have a definitive answer for you yet, but uh, we're 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 studying that right now, and we're looking at um, you know parking availability by submarket and by building, and to see if those you know some of those spaces tend to become uh, preferential at least again in the you know six to twelve months ahead. Beyond that, you know, if there's anything um, cynical but positive about this, you know, Americans do tend to have short memories, so you you, you know you can envision a time by 2022 or 2023 when things are. Uh, you know, completely back to normal, right? And some of these trends now uh, it's kind of seem as, as silly as the over-the-top amenities, or I mean, we were talking about two months ago. But at least over the next twelve to eighteen months, I, I think that the point you bring up is really, really uh, top of mind for a lot of a lot of our clients.
0: Yeah, we're gonna do. We're gonna negate all the good we did to our environment in the last seven weeks. Because even coach, even co-ridings, uh, yeah. Ride-sharing services, like are people going to be scared to get in an enclosed vehicle with another person? So now we're all going to get back in our cars, and we're going to negate all the good that we did. Or the, the, the only silver lining we had the last seven weeks. But I'll be more. I'll be very interested to see your report, Christian. One of the things that you know, one of the things that we
1: had touched on previously was uh, kind of the range and diversity of services that. JLL provides, uh, you know, its clients from a, a consulting perspective. Your article touched on uh, the, what the owners of Class A buildings in China are doing with respect to monitoring, um, you know, the health and welfare of, mm-hmm. of tenants and guests in their buildings. Uh, to what degree or to what extent is JLL uh, helping its clients? kind of work through those policies whether it is a reorganization of their office how they manage you know their their office buildings entries and exits who is uh, is JLL in a position to um, advise uh, on those steps? And, and if so, how are you even going about, you know, formulating a, a program that an owner or an occupant could put into place uh, to help their res- help their um, their tenants, their employees and their guests kind of operate in these spaces in a safe way? That's a great question. Thanks, Jay. Sorry, I had you on mute for a second, but we absolutely are. Um, and we are engaged
2: with on both sides uh, again of the of the equation. Uh, one with assisting tenants in their reentry plans to the workplace. Uh, two in assisting landlords with their uh, building preparations uh, in you know in, in in readiness uh, for you know for occupants to come back. So um, we absolutely are engaged um, with an extremely high number of clients right now on both of those types of uh, consulting and advisory assignments. So. To answer how we're doing that, um, you know, we've put together a, a, a detailed, you know, multi-step plan for um, at least our guidance on the right way to enter a building, starting with, you know, government restrictions and regulations, and then moving further, uh, you know, into individual tenant needs and then into, into um, specific actual employee needs. So we've put together a guide. If you want, I'll I'll, um, I'll send it to to both of you guys after our, our call and you're you know, free to have it or distribute to clients if, if there's of interest. But it's, a, it's an entire guide on the detailed steps you need to take uh, for re-entry into your space, starting with government mandates, as I mentioned, then understanding your um, client needs and, and client protocols, everything down to from cleaning to building entry to capacity restrictions to social distancing and then uh, safety and operational guidelines. Um, we even get so specific as to you know, provide the CDC-approved cleaning uh, products that your facility managers should be using and things like that. Step three is, is looking at your occupancy plan. To, to the comments we, you know, we made earlier about your space layout, uh, what your office entry protocols are, what your capacity restrictions are going to be, who's going to stay working from home, who's going to be allowed into the office, uh, social distancing policies, guidelines around usage of uh, personal protective equipment actually we're you know there's a lot of clients right now tenants who are debating some who are um, very uh firmly uh for uh temperature testing and health testing and monitoring and the wearing of ppe in the office others which are completely against it and say this that's kind of against our corporate culture we don't want people coming in if they have to check their temperature or if they have to you know wear face masks we'd rather just have them stay home Whereas others are saying we want to get our people back together as soon as possible, but we're going to take these measures. So we've got guidance on that. And then, um, as I mentioned, the the, the fourth and final but most important consideration is those for each individual employee. And that's going to tie all all the way to their their personal uh, preferences, their health conditions, uh, their own safety uh, and physical and mental concerns. Um, And there's a lot of connectivity there between there's a bridge between not just real estate, but also H.R., as well, um, so the, the HR team and the head of real estate, or the facilities managers and uh, you know landlords, all need to be talking right now uh, as we're moving forward because you can't make any of these decisions in a vacuum. Uh, they all need to be uh, closely considered with all those groups.
0: Well, Christian, we'd really appreciate. Yeah, send over that report. That sounds like really valuable information and. If it's available on your website, what we'll do is we'll put a link to it in our show notes. So if anyone who's listening to the podcast wants to take a look at it, we can just link right to JLL's website so they can click right on it. Well, Christian, you're you're always so calm and so numbers-based. I was hoping to get some more outlandish predictions out of you. But I think you've you've gotten some really thoughtful – predictions grounded grounded in research and numbers as you always do and you know unless you have uh some other further if you have any updates or if you have any other predictions for how we should treat office space going forward uh please do let us know we'll see that we'll leave some meat on the bone for the third podcast and uh hopefully we can release the the now dead and buried podcast at a later date when the relocation of headquarters is is more topical
2: sure no thanks a lot for having me um i I think we covered the you know most of the the key topics that are at least top of mind for our clients right now but you're right Um, as as we speak i'm working on uh, you know projects on transit on connectivity and the you know related to your closing comment there on headquarters we're actually studying quite a bit right now on the topic uh, of reshoring and a lot of clients who are asking us about bringing some of their operations closer to home uh, and, uh, making sure that their supply chains are not disrupted, you know, you know, in a world where, uh, you know, pandemics could be possible again. So that's another topic we can go into, but, uh, for now, I think it, you've covered the main things on uh, reentry in the office market. And I, uh, appreciate you having me and I hope we can get together, uh, in person, uh, not social distanced, and, uh, <laughs> uh, sometime, sometime this year.
0: That would be great. Uh, Christian, thank you for coming on the show. Jay, thanks for joining us. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances.